Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. This is Mornings with Ian Smith. Morena, New Zealand. Good morning to you all. I hope uh, you're enjoying the start of summer. Uh, It is the 1st of December, of course, uh, here in Hawke's Bay. It is raining, so it's not exactly the start of summer, but uh, you get the feel the Christmas trees will be going up shortly and decorations will be out, the shops will be chocker. Uh, we'll get in the Christmas mood eventually, won't we? So uh, we've hit it. We've hit December. Uh, and we've got a, a, a pretty interesting show, actually, to kick off December. Uh, we've got uh, Heinrich Milan coming up. Now, Heinrich is, uh, of course, the coach of the Auckland Aces these days, but they're not playing cricket. So uh, how do you coach a team that isn't playing? But the team also includes, at full strength, of course, Will Somerville. Uh, he had a lot to do with Ajaz Patel. So we'll talk to Heinrich about those two spinners in particular uh, when we have the opportunity. That's about 9.15. Uh, Michael Glading, probably the most, uh, I would say, experienced sports administrator in the country. He had a big history with New Zealand football. And, and of course, he uh, is now uh, the director of the New Zealand Golf Open as well, Michael Glading. So we'll talk to him about 9.30. The news about the Golf Open going ahead, uh, potentially without too many overseas stars. Uh, but also this, uh, this thing about uh, Oceania and uh, New Zealand football at loggerheads again, it seems. Greg Murphy, after 10 o'clock. Uh, and that's uh, with all our motor racing news for the week. Uh, Finn Delaney, after 11 o'clock this morning, of course, Finn Delaney is the star forward for the Breakers. Uh, what a shamozzle that is and what kind of state they are in. And uh, before uh, 12 o'clock, we're going to catch up with our comedian of the week. It's Ed Amon. Ed Amon. So uh, looking forward to talk to him. Apparently, uh, Ed's a, a cricket a cricket nut. I wonder if he's related to Chris Amon. He's the only other Amon I've ever pretty much heard of in my life, to be honest. The panel, too. Andrew Gordy and Lavina Gordy. That'll be nice and combative, I'm predicting that. Sport is our religion, and here is Smithy's Sermon. Uh, the relationship between the Oceania Football Federation and New Zealand football has never been smooth, to say the least. It's had its history of disagreement dating way back before the legend that was Charlie Dempsey. Solid citizen was Charlie, had a bit about him, and the ear of the right people. He got us places, and I wonder how he would have sorted this latest fiasco, the one where we will be forced, it seems, to play the first part of the Oceania qualifying series next year for the World Cup without the huge majority of our overseas professional players due to a scheduling decision. At full strength on a neutral field, we are big brother in this group. Pretty warm favourites, and it seems now, early on, it will be not just neutral, but also very level, that field. Some might say shut up, 
get on with it. It is what it is. You're never going to win the World Cup anyway. True that. But it's the further we go, the closer we get that ignites the sport here, fuels the, fu- the future. Now, Coach Danny Hay is, like old Charlie, a very solid citizen. He's still abroad, waging a crusade, almost lone, it seems, to find us a build-up, arrange some worthy fixtures, assemble the best players he can, all within the FIFA international windows. And so far, the prep looks okay, doesn't it? We're not exactly beating the Giants, but they're gelling, getting the feel for it as a unit, and seemingly, they are on the right track. Surely the OFC are kind of shooting themselves in the foot here. If their best team, us, makes it to Qatar, and that's a mighty challenge even after this stumbling block, don't they get more respect at the big table rather than the normal backside of the fly swat? The All Whites undoubtedly represent their best opportunity at best. Initially, it looks like they won't be allowed to be that. Where will the interim squad come from is the question. The pickup lads. Don't be surprised to see Danny Hay, if he ever gets home, standing on a sideline at a park near you shortly. Or maybe he could just get on the blower and dredge up Dad's army, Ricky and Buzzer and Winton and the lads for a kick around. Ridiculous. Don't despair. New Zealand football will sort this dilemma. We know that, right? 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 We know that, don't we? Right? Uh, maybe not. Okay, let's move on. Yes, and Trudy's news, she talked about uh, that great achievement uh, in English women's football and she also said the score at half-time was 8-0. The news is good that uh, for Latvia, they've only conceded two goals in the first six minutes of the second half, so it's only 10-0 here. Uh, man, uh, just conceded a penalty, 10-0. Uh, what's it going to, could they get to 20? Could they get to 20 in a women's football match? I will say this, the crowd, the crowd is absolutely chocolate. There must be 30 plus thousand people there to watch England play Latvia at women's football. That is so good, so good. Uh, so, John, there's uh, some interesting topics to talk about. We've got uh, Heinrich Milan coming up very shortly. Um, Artie Sevier uh, commits to New Zealand rugby to 2025, I see. He signed a four-year deal, which will keep him here through to the end of uh, that season. As part of his new contract, we'll have the option of playing his rugby offshore for a period of six months, uh, probably Japan. Uh, during the 2024 season, and he's also recommitted to the Hurricanes until 2023. And here we were doubting Artie the other day, as he said, gee, I'd love to be able to play for Manu Samoa. Well, uh, he not, he's not going to be able to play for Manu Samoa by my mathematics till 2028, 2029. Yep, and he'll be quite old by then, Smithy, and with a lot of miles on those legs that just keep on pumping. I was thinking about it as... Would he be the first guy you'd sign at the moment out of any All Black on a long-term contract? Is Artie Sevilla the one that you want until 2025? I think he is, for me. He's right in the prime of his career. I think he was a World Rugby Player of the Year candidate in 2019. Uh, I think this year he's been our best player. So out of all the All Blacks, I think New Zealand Rugby have done a great job here. I think he's the most important signing, Smithy, through to the next World Cup and two years beyond that as well. I think they've done brilliant, brilliantly well here, NZR. Maybe Yardy was just pushing his price up. Maybe that last little salvo was just to push the price up a decimal point or two. Who would know? I, I, I'm just joking there. But here's the, uh, I, I think you're probably right. 
I think if you look at the constant, the one that uh, out of the whole forward pack you'd pick at the end of that particular tour to the north, who's the guy you'd pick um, after those last two performances even? It would be Artie Sevilla, wasn't it? Is there any given, any other given in that forward pack now? Um, yeah. On the way that they played and the way that they're out-muscled, I think Artie Sevilla's probably... I think you're probably right there. So they know what they're going to get there. They can base the loose board trio around Artie uh, going forward for quite some considerable period of time. And it's a question of who's got, going to play alongside him. He's a leader. He's been an all-black captain. Uh, I, I, don't have, I don't have a problem with that at all. But, uh, yeah, I, I, think, I think you're probably right. So uh, we'll look at that. We're going to go to uh, a, a short, unscheduled break uh, whilst we get uh, Heinrich Milan on the phone. Interesting bloke, Heinrich. He's been around a wee bit. Uh, he's had a little bit to do. Uh, with the black caps as well, uh, so perfect to talk to uh, about uh, the cricket at the moment in India, but also uh, what's the prospect for the Auckland Aces actually getting on the field? That's the interesting one for me. Superman. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, whilst the rest of uh, the five provincial cricket teams in New Zealand are playing Plunkett Shield, Super Smash and now the Ford Trophy, Auckland are still sitting, waiting for their first game of the season. Today's officially uh, the first day of summer, so we thought we'd check in with the Auckland coach, uh, Heinrich Milan, to see how his squad is coping and just when they'll be able to rejoin those respective competitions. Um, we'll also uh, have a, a little chat about the Black Caps too, I'm sure, along the way. Heinrich, good morning to you. Morning, guys. How's it going? Yeah, well, 1st of December, mate. You haven't played any cricket. That's uh, it's got to be a, a horribly strange feeling for you. Well, we just have a bit of a rain break here trying to go through training too. So I guess it's just following us around at the moment, but looking forward to get out there on the 17th. So that's, uh, that's the official date. Um, you, you, can get, you can get back out there and start playing. And what, what form of cricket will you be playing at that stage? What, the Ford Trophy and the, the Super yeah. Smash? Yeah, we, we start off with a super smash, um, but it, the schedule is, is quite hectic after that, to be honest. We're obviously going to try and make up as much cricket as we can, and um, at this stage, it, uh, by the new schedule that's now come out, um, we're only going to miss one Ford Trophy game. Um, so it's going to be a hectic time, but hopefully we can um, uh, you know get out there and play some cricket soon, which, uh, yeah, it's been coming a long time now, just by training for the last couple of weeks. They must be like, uh, I was going to say caged animals, but they must be... De- damn keen to get out there and do something because it's all very well to, to do your own thing and you prepare in the, the gyms, etc. that you're able to access or whatever. I mean, uh, what are the, what's the feeling in the squad? Yeah, it's been a challenging time, to be honest. Um, you know, trying to keep bowlers loads up and trying to keep the intensity up at training to make sure we get out there and compete. Um, but 100%, uh, you know, there's a real... Uh, excitement around the group to try, um, to get out there as soon as we can and um, yeah just just trying to make sure that we prepared adequately and um, you know making sure we look after the well-being of our players um, from a training but also from a lifestyle perspective over the last couple of weeks which has been challenging for us all but um, hopefully we can um, get out there soon as I said. Heinrich uh, did you ever look at uh, as has been the case in some of the rugby squads etc relocating? Yeah, look, there's been a fair few of those conversations going on. Um, and, and I guess we've had a lot of that conversation with New Zealand cricket um, and then through with the government too. And unfortunately, at no stage, there was a, a clear path for us to, to really do that. Um, which, again, um, you know, back in now when we think about um, potentially only missing one day of cricket, um, and, and that's one of the four trophy games, 
Um, you know, we, we're obviously trying to use this time as much as we can to do as much training as we can because there's not going to be a, a lot of that time during the summer, which, again, that, that's what it's for. It's, it's trying to play as much cricket as we can, and, and hopefully that's where we get to um, in, in the not-too-distant future now. Obviously, you've been liaising too with uh, the likes of uh, Gary Stead and uh, New Zealand Cricket, etc., on availability of uh, Black Caps players coming back into the squad. We spoke to, uh, yesterday uh, briefly to Martin Guptill. He said he was eyeing, um, pr- providing uh, everything comes up uh, good with his injured foot. Uh, he was eyeing the 17th to, to join the squad right from the get-go. What about the other players within the Black Caps? Have you any word on their availability or access to them? Yeah, so we, we've got Gut, Lockie and Mark Chapman at the moment um, coming out of MIQ today and I've got a couple of days at, at home isolation. Um, they all are gearing up to um, everything going well from a, an injury point of view to play on the 17th. Um, and then we, we've got uh, Kyle Jamison, Somerville um, and Glenn Phillips part of the test side and, and they only get home a little bit later. But we're looking for the 17th to have those three boys available, as mentioned, um, and will be, you know, welcomed addition to our squad, um, and, and you know, especially guys that have just been to to a World Cup, um, and, and starting off with a T20 competition. Let's uh, look at a couple of guys, Heinrich, if we can. With uh, the, you've had quite a lot to do with actually, uh, in the spinning department too. I mean, you you spent uh, some time with uh, AJ Patel over the years. Um, both of those guys performed, here along with Will Somerville, uh, performed incredibly, vitally well with the bat. But I think that the number one role is the spin bowling uh, side of it, to be fair. So what did you make of their performances, bearing in mind uh, the little cricket they've had in the middle? Yeah, I guess that's probably the challenge. So they weren't as accurate as, as we would have probably liked them to have been, and, and I think that was the major difference between our spinners in the first test and the Indian spinners. Um, there was still a little bit of uh, rustiness around their match preparation. They haven't played any cricket, um, AJs or Will, um, in the lead-up to that uh, series, obviously with both being in, in Auckland and, and being in lockdown. So um, looking forward to seeing them in that second test, being a, a little bit more match fit and a little bit more match ready. But I guess it's just that consistency piece uh, where you look at those Indian spinners. They don't really um, vary too much in terms of making sure that they put people under pressure the whole time and, and asking some really tough questions. What about the tactics uh, on the last day of uh, the Black Caps? Uh, did you think that winning the game was at any stage uh, a possibility? Yeah, I like to think that that was what they were looking at, especially when you think, you know, the start they got into um, at, at that lunch period when, when, you know, we had a really good set. Um, but I, I think it was always going to be um, a, a tough chase, especially once there was maybe a, a couple of wickets that would fall. Um, which we saw, and, and I guess a, a bit of a challenge for us in, in that middle order. We haven't seen too much from Ross um, or, or Henry Nichols at this stage yet, um, and you know they'll definitely be looking for some contributions from those two experienced players in this next test in Mumbai. Do we actually, uh, getting back to the spinners, Heinrich, do we actually spin the ball? Do we, do we get as many revolutions on the ball as, as Indian uh, subcontinent bowlers as such? And if we don't, why, why, why don't we? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I saw one of your comments this morning, um, and, and I guess, you know, do we really use our spinners in, in New Zealand um, as, as well as we could? Um, and, and I guess that's, you know, the ties sort of back to your question there, because we don't really, the conditions don't, don't allow us to, to, to potentially um, play around with our pace as much because we play on, on, on such good surfaces um, where it's all about trying to control that length. 
But I 100% agree. I think, you know, we've got to try and find ways, um, especially in, in, in four-day cricket, to prepare players to play test cricket. And, um, you know, I've been an advocate for playing um, round seven and eight of Plunkett Shield cricket on new surfaces at the back end of the summer um, to, to teach our mm. players from a batting and a bowling point of view to um, play on surfaces that are actually going to stay low or turn um, and, and find different ways and methods of, of actually preparing to go and play some cricket in the subcontinent. Well, I think that's a great concept. I, I really do. I, I would totally in, endorse that because, uh, you know, I, I, I appreciate the fact we're the World Test Champions and, and given what we had in front of us, we performed beautifully to be able to do that. But in, a, in a, an even playing world without COVID, etc., uh, we're going to play a lot more on the subcontinent now. We're going to be challenged a lot more, and we just have to be better at doing both, don't we? Bowling it and playing it. A hundred percent. And I guess we've got to use our domestic competition to keep doing what we've done over a little period now. You know, we've produced players that that can step up to international cricket and and perform a role, as opposed to showing us that they can play. And I guess that's where we've got to be clear. You know, and and even looking at the domestic competition, the point structure. You know, again, we saw yesterday in Test cricket that. We've got to bat out a day for a draw to get Test Championship points. So in domestic cricket at the moment, if you draw, you still get your batting and your bowling points. So I guess there's a you know continual, a little work for us to be done from a domestic point of view to try and make sure that we keep producing players that can compete at the international stage consistently. Can we talk about Glenn Phillips? Uh, you know, Glenn uh, was uh, ended up being quite an integral part of, of the T20 setup. Um, uh, he's had a Test match um, at the Sydney Cricket Ground. He was called in, batted middle order there. Uh, one of the things that he's been talking about is adding uh, off-spin bowling to his arsenal as well. Now, they might look at the possibility of, of bringing Glenn Phillips in into the second test to strengthen the batting, but in terms of his off-spin bowling, where is he at in terms of international cricket as such? Yeah, look, I think he's, the challenge for him at the moment is um, to really get some opportunity in, in, in uh, domestic cricket or the, the competitions that he plays throughout the world to, to get opportunity to um, bowl enough overs to one, gain the experience, but also to work on that part of his game. He's a diligent trainer. Um, I think he bowls way more than what he actually bats at training and, and he loves the bowling piece. So I guess he's just trying to marry that up. And, and we've had some conversations with the Black Caps and with him around trying to find some opportunity for him um, with an arm makeup, um, depending on you know who's available for us to, to try and give him some overs out in the middle and, and keep building on that. Um, piece of his, his skill that he uh, wants to try and be an all-round cricket at international stage. And Mark Chapman uh, also looking to, de- to develop that art? Yeah, 100%. And I guess just thinking about where the, the next World Cup's going to be, the 50-over World Cup too, um, I, I think if you, if you look at how the Black Caps are trying to put their teams together, they're trying to have a lot of all-round cricketers in the white ball format, and, and definitely both those players will... Um, hopefully get some opportunity from an Auckland point of view with us to, to keep developing both sides of, of their skill sets from a batting and bowling point of view to be able to go and do that at the international stage. Okay, so getting back to uh, the practicality of, of what you can look at now, uh, obviously December 17th, very high on your radar. Between now and then, uh, two and a half weeks as we look at it, I think things free up ever so slightly on Friday, do they, for you? Or what's the setup going forward now? Yeah, we've, um, we, we're currently playing two um, inter-squad games today and tomorrow, um, and it's all about T20 and, and playing different situations and different scenarios. Um, then all our squad players are actually playing club cricket this weekend and next weekend, so trying to get some uh, real game time into the legs. Um, and then from next week, hopefully we'll have those Black Hat boys, the three that are in MIQ at the moment, join us and, and then start building up towards the 17th. 
Uh, we play the 17th, the 20th, um, 24th, the 27th. Um, so there's a, a few, fair few games in a short space of time. So just mm. trying to be diligent around our preparation so that, um, you know, we, we, when we get into our work, it, it's all about the playing aspect and the performance piece. So aside, essentially aside from that one Plunkett Shield game, um, you've pretty much uh, got an opportunity. Uh, you're behind the eight ball there, but uh, you've got an opportunity to, to be quite prevalent now uh, as the summer pans out, hopefully. Yeah, look, we've, we've been quite clear in our, in our discussions and our plans that you know, we, we've got a, a real opportunity to be really prepared for this white ball um, period that we're heading into. Uh, and we've tried to be um, as adequate as we can in our planning and our preparation around that to try and create as many situations, scenarios and experiences for the players that are um, back at work over the last little period to, to get as prepared as they can to try and hit the ground running. So I 100% agree with that. OK, uh, Heinrich, it's been great chatting to you. It sounds like uh, you've got pretty much everything in order as, uh, as, as much as you can at this point. So uh, when you hit the ground, let's uh, hope you hit the ground running and uh, we wish you all the best. Thanks for your time this morning. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Have a good one. Yep. Okay. Same to you. Uh, Heinrich Milan there, of course, uh, uh, really highly regarded, very, very highly regarded with the New Zealand cricket as uh, uh, a coach. And uh, certainly uh, at the moment, while Gary Stead's got his hands on the reins and doing a pretty good job, uh, Heinrich Milan is sitting there behind him, I think it's fair to say, uh, in the pecking order. So uh, it's uh, we're in good shape. We're in pretty good shape there, uh, John. And, and uh, that's good news from... Uh, from Auckland's point of view, that they're actually getting some time in the middle now. Uh, they're playing uh, inter-squad games. Uh, I mean, open wicket practices are fine. Uh, they do tend to simulate, uh, but they just ha- don't have the edge. And that's what you need when you hit the ground running, the edge, the competitive edge. Um, and and uh, hopefully you'll have that. Yeah, absolutely. And, oh, man, they've got a lot of cricket coming up, Smithy. They, I mean, the domestic schedule's normally pretty packed as it is, but... Uh, not what well, he wants to play every single Plunkett Shield game um, and miss one Ford Trophy match. So that's eight four days to chuck in with a whole season of Super Smash and to miss one fifty over match mm. Smithy. So that's going to make for some heavy legs, isn't it? They better have a wide squad. Well, uh, it will make the heavy legs because uh, around that as well there'll be uh, black cap commitments too. Uh, so he won't have access to it. So he does have to have quite a, a deep squad, as you say. Uh, but you know when you're sitting waiting. Uh, you want that opportunity to, to get out there and play. Um, you know, I, I'm, probably, I'm probably thinking, well, all the batsmen in particular shouldn't worry about their legs. They just want to bat and bat and bat and get an opportunity every day or every second day to do that. He'll have to be very careful about his bowling resources, particularly the quicker ones, but uh, a real good opportunity to make a mark. And uh, particularly having uh, seen the other guys get started, you know, there's a lot of batsmen racked up a lot of runs already in this competition. The bowlers have been put to the sword somewhat. I really like that concept of playing on used pitches, ones that will age a wee bit more, a wee bit more quickly in terms of preparation. I, I think New Zealand cricket uh, could perhaps look at that. It's hard to age. It's hard to age a pitch as a as a, a groundsman. Hard to age a pitch early in the piece. Uh, you can try it out, but you've got to. You don't want to run the risk of the fact that it could be a minefield. So you have to be very careful. Um, yeah, interesting talking to him. Actually, I enjoyed that. 9.30 here on SENZ. It's news time. Most experienced sports administrator going around in the country now, Michael Glading. Uh, Michael, honour to have you on the show. Thanks for joining us. Oh, pleasure, and Thanks for having me. Yeah, great news uh, coming through that uh, that you're forging ahead. Um, uh, uh, 
was it a close decision? Did you think uh, without those overseas players, uh, let's just flag it again and be more patient? Uh, what was the process? Well, I mean, to be fair, it's an ongoing process. You know, as you can appreciate, there's uh, nothing certain. So uh, whilst we're, we're positive, it's probably a better description than, than certain um, because of the changes that we're continually facing. But I think there's, a, you know, we've recognised a real need uh, to, to keep the show on the road. Um, you know, Queenstown as a region has been terribly hit and, uh, and, and we believe we can, we can at least uh, add, add some economic value back into the region. Um, I think golf uh, as a sport is, is booming uh, and it'd be tragic for the number one event in New Zealand not to be played. Um, and, you know, losing momentum on an event that we've spent 10 years building up is, it, it would be tragic. So I think there's a whole bunch of really good reasons why we'll do it. Um, we've still got a few challenges to make sure we can do it. Uh, obviously, there's all sorts of things could happen. We could, the new strain could mean we're all in red traffic lights, is it, or, or, or some other colour that will be invented shortly, uh, and then we're in, and then we're in trouble. So, as I say, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm uh, cautiously optimistic there'll be a better description probably, yeah. Yeah, well, Michael, you only have to look at uh, last weekend and those those poor organisers trying to put the Johannesburg Open together to, to see what how things can change so quickly. Well, that's right, that's right. And and look, you know, getting back to your earlier point, we we, we haven't given up hope on uh, on trying to get international players in. I've been quite buoyed by a couple of uh, uh, conversations I've had with players from overseas who who are not ruling it out. I mean, what? Uh, the only, uh, you know, as we look for slivers of good news, is that uh, government has agreed that our tournament would qualify as a special uh, event in terms of being able to house players, uh, host players, should I say, as long as they prepare to do seven days isolation. Now, you know, that's a big ask, but um, it sort of come back to me that if we could possibly uh, have um, facilities that they can go and practice while they're isolating, and I likened it very much to when the Wallaby rugby team came here and, and they were able to, you know, mm. they were isolated, but they were able to go to a field and train. Um, I'm now, you know, pushing that case. It's, uh, but you have to push is the proverbial word, unfortunately. But, uh, we're, we're, you know, if we could do that, then I think we will get some overseas players, and that's still certainly a goal for us. Just for the people uh, listening in, I mean, the, the world of golf is a very, very busy place. What kind of window do you uh, do you have? Uh, how how small of uh, time if or time zone have you got to get your tournament uh, played? Well, you know, this event particularly is quite complex because it's played as a pro am, as you know. So we've also, for equal number of uh, professional uh, athletes, we've also got uh, a number of paying corporate guests. So. Uh, that that does mean you you need more time than I guess a quite normal event, um, and of course people have got to plan ahead and they've got to book and we've got to you know we've got to do everything from buying the right amount of food to to making sure we've got the right amount of hotel rooms set aside. So I think to answer your question, I think I think the sort of drop dead date, if you like, for us is is, is uh, late January, um, where where things were looking more like turning back to custard. Uh, then we'd have to reconsider, but uh, there's no there's no easy answer to that question. You, you're kind of pushing it back as late as we can, with it, realizing that there's a point at which people just say, "Hey, this is you're, you're too you're too very very, so we can't proceed." So. Okay, uh, the format uh, at this stage, Michael. What are you? What's your format looking over? What dates? 
Uh, it'll still be the same it's, it's, as we have played it. Uh, it'll be March 31 to April 3, which is much later than we normally do. We gave ourselves more time to, to try and uh, give ourselves a better chance. So late uh, March is, is pretty late, but that's, uh, that's the time we're, we're going to go with. You've got a great history, the, the Glading family have got a wonderful history uh, in the game. Your, your dad won two New, New Zealand Opens back in uh, 46 and uh, 47. Uh, so, it's, I mean, it's, it's seriously in your blood, mate, isn't it? It is, it is. You know, I've been around guys, around golf my uh, my entire life, uh, and, uh, but have only really worked in it for the, in the last 10 years, although I did uh, have a spell of caddying uh, for a long time. But, uh, yeah, I guess you're right. I guess it's uh, it's in the veins of you somewhere, Ian. Unfortunately, the it talent is, is, uh, and isn't. It's, the talent's not there. It's just the, just the bloodline. <laughs> I would imagine you've, uh, you've won your fear your fair share of uh, 10, 10, 20s over the years, I would, uh, I would be imagining, Michael. Because uh, you've, you've had some pretty good partners over the years. The, I mean, the likes of Sir Bob Charles. Um, how is Sir Bob these days? And, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, it would be great to see him around the scene, wouldn't it, in, in Queenstown? Yeah, I'm sure he'll be there. He, he's incredible, really. He, uh, I was talking to him uh, only a couple of weeks ago. I mean, he's just amazing. Um, I follow him on dot golf, and I think I think in the last twelve months, only once has he shot above his age. I mean, he he, he is he is absolutely incredible. He defies age and logic, and I guess uh, something that's too late for me to learn. But uh, you should, certainly, if, you, if you, the old adage "you are what you eat," because he's always been a very careful eater. He's never eaten. Uh, Anything he wouldn't have eaten three percent of the amount of sugar I've taken into my body, uh, and and the way he looked after himself, uh, the rewards just there for all to see. He's amazing. He is incredible. Yeah, he is amazing. And and whilst um, you're the administrator of the, the New Zealand Golf Open, I know for a fact that you keep a very close eye on what's happening overseas with our players over there. We've had a, I think we've had a pretty good damn year golf-wise, haven't we? Uh, Foxy gone ended up retaining his card. Uh, you know, and, and if you look through Lydia and uh, Stephen Alker, etc., across the board, a pretty, a pretty good year. Yeah, you're right, Ian. I mean, it, it's been uh, very encouraging. You're right, and you know, below that, there are young guys like Denzel Lerner who, who, uh, you know, he just failed out to try and get his uh, his Corn Ferry Tour card, but then he went went across to the Latin America PGA Tour, and and and, and uh, I think he won the Q School on that, so he's got himself a career over there. Um, Josh Geary on the Challenge Tour has done very well. Dan Hillier is really showing some serious signs of, of, of moving up to the uh, first ladder, if you like, uh, in Europe. And Foxy uh, has finished the year really strong. So, yeah, I, we, it's been... And, of course, Steve Elker, who's just, you know, the nicest guy on tour uh, and, and, and a hard worker under, uh, who's quietly been a quiet achiever his whole life, is really shining now, and it's just fantastic to see. It's fantastic. Michael, uh, without the overseas stars as such, and we hope that that may well change for you, particularly uh, a good segment from Australia anyway, uh, have any New Zealand players uh, made a commitment to you? Uh, they absolutely have. I've certainly spoken to uh, Foxy, uh, to Josh Geary, to Mike Henry, um, and, and numerous others, uh, and they've all uh, given me a total commitment that they will play, which is fantastic. You know, Mike Henry at that point in time normally would be off to Japan, but he said to me nothing would get in the way of him playing in this tournament. So uh, it's been, I have to say, the feedback we've had from uh, the few professionals that I've spoken to has been very reassuring and very encouraging. Whilst your uh, your time and your efforts are pretty much in uh, New Zealand golf these days, 
uh, people will, of course, remember you were the head of New Zealand football, uh, particularly when we went to that last World Cup. You, you had the reins back in uh, 2010. So now we've come, uh, and you would uh, not be surprised to see this latest saga, I would imagine, uh, with the Oceania Football Federation or Confederation saying, uh, we will have to play some of our World Cup qualifiers outside of the FIFA window. I mean, uh, limiting the resources Danny Hay will have at his disposal. Uh, are you surprised by that? What do you make of that? Sadly, I'm not surprised by it. I saw, I saw Danny's interview on the news last night. He was uh, equally incredulous. Um, OFC, the Oceania Football uh, Federation, you know, they, they've, uh, I think there's, you do wonder if there's almost a desire for uh, New Zealand not to make it. They're certainly putting everything in the way to, to make it easier for, for some of the island nations to make it uh, instead of wanting the best team there. Uh, I think it's very, very, very disappointing. And uh, Danny's, you know, the only thing I'll say, Ian, is that Danny, I think, is just a fantastic appointment. I think he's a great coach. Mm-hmm. And if anybody can pull it off, it's Danny. Um, but it'll certainly make it challenging for him. Is our, uh, our future in terms of football um, taking away perhaps the World Cup side of it? Are we better to be as associated with Asia? Or, or was the lure of the World Cup and the pathway to the World Cup uh, still the best way through Oceania for us? I, I think it still is. And I think, you know, the thing that was sort of, I guess, overlooked a bit uh, and still probably is overlooked is that if we move into Asia, all of our uh, under-20, well, I say, oh, it's not mine anymore, but under-20 and under-17s, men and women would all have to be playing in that confederation. So, A, it involves enormous amount of travel costs and, B, a much, much, much harder pathway. Now, you could say the higher standard you play, the more opportunity, you know, the better you will become. And I think if you take a long-term view, that's still very, very true. But if you take a short-term fiscal view <laughs> and success view, it's, it's not great. So you can argue it both ways, frankly. I, I think, again, if taking a 20-year view, you'd want, to be, you'd want to be playing much better sides than New Caledonia and, and, and uh, Solomon Islands, etc. You'd definitely be wanting to play, yeah. you know, Japan, Korea, etc. But um, it's a bold move, and I don't know whether anybody will, will take that. Unfortunately, the politicians do get in the way of sports administration too sometimes, as you know. Ian. <laughs> yeah, I absolutely realise that. Uh, hey, Michael, thanks for wearing two hats for us this morning. Uh, I, I've uh, really enjoyed catching up with you. Uh, so wish you all the best. Um, getting some more uh, freedom, I think, uh, I think is the word. Uh, some more latitude to bring some more players into your tournament uh, in the meantime. But uh, all the best with that, and thanks so much for your time. Ah, oh, magic. Thank you, Ian. Lovely to talk. Yeah, cheers. Michael Glading there, folks. Highly, highly respected man in terms of sports New, uh, New Zealand Sports Administration, doing his best to make sure that that New Zealand Golf Open uh, late in March uh, will have as uh, good a quality field as he can possibly imagine. What do you make of that? Uh, haven't we got to the point where uh, we should be able to free up some of these facilities? I mean, Queenstown is a lockdown area. I mean, surely so many golf courses there, so many resort-type things. You could bring players in, put them up, uh, and they could be at least uh, be able to practice their trade uh, under a bubble situation. Surely that's possible. Where is the Ministry of Sport helping, not putting barriers up to us, helping in every possible way? Where is the Ministry of Sport? Is it not their responsibility to make sure that sport, you know, it prospers in this country? Uh, it isn't, is it not their way to, uh, to eliminate barriers, to open as many doors as they can? They're very, very anonymous, it seems, except, except... Uh, when it comes to those ones with economic 
exemptions. And I think the New Zealand Open seriously qualifies for that. And the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yes, well, if you think Danny Hayes got some problems, uh, spare a thought for the coach of the Latvian women's football team. Uh, he'd probably change places with Danny Hay any time now. They have just been beaten uh, 20-0, 20-0 by the English women's team in front of a sellout crowd, uh, which was absolutely magnificent to see in support of women's football. Uh, the weird thing was that the referee actually played at it on time. Isn't that... Uh, Man, isn't that a bit of torture, to be fair, John? But that's not the biggest margin. I thought that might be the big blowout one, but you've done a bit of research here. Yeah, biggest margin of victory in a women's football qualifying match for the World Cup is 21, and it has been done four times before, including New Zealand Smithy in 1998, where we beat Samoa 21-0, Japan beat Guam 21-0 in 1997, Australia beat American Samoa 21-0 in 1998, and Canada beat Puerto Rico 21-0 in 1998. So the goals were flowing, and football was very uneven in the late 90s, Smithy, but pretty uneven today, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I feel for them. I really do. Uh, we've had some great texts come in this morning on various subjects, uh, uh, going back to Adi Savir being the number one player, uh, Will Jordan would sign him before anyone. He is a freak and would be my number one pick, says Ryan from Taitapu. But uh, John, he has already committed uh, Will Jordan, but uh, not too far away from having to re-sign him. Yeah, next year he's off contract. Boy, could he ask for some money. Smithy, Will Jordan, what a player he's been the last two years. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. So he'll be top of the agenda, I'm sure, top of the hit list. Uh, and uh, Smithy, isn't the Minister of Sport the finance minister, and the deputy PM as well. If so, why isn't he putting as much money into sport as he is to spending money? Well, uh, I would have thought um, the exposure that the New Zealand Golf Open gets in terms of pictures that are beamed around the world, uh, it is one of the best touring tourism advertisements you could ever find for this country. If there's not an economic reason to play that there, uh, there's one. Uh, there's one for you, sir. Uh, I hope Ration can bat at number five in the future. That will give us more balance when we tour the subcontinent, said uh, Chris. Uh, don't uh, disagree with that, but uh, we kind of let him walk before he can run. He's only been uh, there uh, just five minutes, literally, and he's had an, um, an impressive start. He, he shows that he's got fight, um, but they're not the kind of innings we need him to play. Uh, we need to see if he can play the other type of innings as well, the setting up rather than defending and protecting innings. So that was a good start, no doubt about it. You can only do what you, is in front of you. But I, I, I want to see a, a lot more of uh, Rachin Ravindra uh, before I uh, am absolutely convinced there, and uh, I hope I do. Uh, hi, Smithy. I really enjoyed the chat with Heinrich Milan too, and I totally agreed with the used pitch idea. Seems so simple and could provide a situa uh, situational a solution to uh, simulate overseas conditions. I also think Junior coaches focus on line and length in this country, but should look at speed and variations too. Uh, sometimes slowing down delivery works well, or changing pace up and down, especially with spinners, along with different types of deliveries. Uh, the ability to turn the ball both ways or slide one on, etc., uh, is paramount. Uh, Deepak Patel had a great point on your show last week that we shouldn't coach unusual actions or deliveries out of our kids. So true to you, to uh, Craig. Uh, from the bop, always with some uh, seriously good thoughts. 9.53 here on SENZ, a multi-time just before 10. ...of sport in New Zealand. Superman! Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ.
You got to know when to hold up. Know when to fold up. Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away. And know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Well, half of Washington was good for us yesterday. The Washington football team beat Seattle at a buck 92, but their basketball team, the Wizards, uh, let us down, getting hammered by the San Antonio Spurs. So we'll leave it at that for that one today. Uh, we're going to stay very much on the basketball theme. The Brooklyn Nets to beat the New York Knicks at a dollar thirty-four, I should say. Uh, Toronto Raptors to beat the Grizzlies at a dollar fifty-eight. The Lakers to beat Sacramento at a dollar fifty-four. And uh, in NCAA basketball, that's the the college system. Uh, each East Carolina, East Carolina to beat Old Dominion at a dollar thirty-eight. Four dollars fifty is the end result to that. Uh, look, your text today double eight double three. As we head up to 10 o'clock, uh, what changes would you make uh, for the Black Caps? What changes, what would be your playing 11 uh, going to Mumbai? They're there now, preparing. Uh, what would you do differently in terms of your personnel uh, coming out to the second and most important test match on the back of the one that we just saved? Uh, quite bravely in the end, but could we, uh, and I go back to yesterday, could we have done more uh, towards winning it? I believe we should have tried anyway. Uh, but that is now... Uh, consigned to history, as they say. The news is coming up with Trudy very shortly. Uh, on the back of that, we shall be catching up with uh, Greg Murphy, our racing motor racing legend, of course, uh, co-host of Race Control on SENZ 7pm on Thursday evenings. Murph on a number of issues shortly. He's the sound of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, it is the 1st of December, it's the start of summer, but uh, before Christmas there is a treat, of course, for motor racing fans, and that is uh, Bathurst, which is uh, just around the corner, the great race. Uh, no one better to talk about it uh, than SENZ's uh, host of Race Control on Thursday nights. Four-time winner in his own right, uh, just an outstanding uh, driver, and uh, personality too. So uh, Greg Murphy, of course, joins us this morning. Murphy, before we get on to Bathurst, uh, sad news during the week with the passing of uh, Sir Frank Williams. Uh, Frank Williams, founder, of course, of the Williams Formula One team uh, back in 77 through to 2020. Nine constructors' titles, seven drivers' titles, an icon uh, in Formula One. Yeah, absolutely, Smitty. Just um, what a legacy that man leaves behind. I mean, uh, the building of, of a race team uh, back in the day where uh, real... Real drivers were real men, and um, you know the the challenges of putting together a race team uh, back when he did in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and becoming so so significant in the motorsport world, not just Formula One, but just motorsport around the world, and and just built just a, a you know an incredible operation and very successful one um, was the epitome of of um, epitome of of race team, you know, team being able to put teams together and create. Uh, such amazing success, and um, obviously Frank had uh, that um, a car accident. I think was it nineteen um, nineteen eighty six? I think it was uh, where he was confined to a wheelchair for you know the rest of his life, and um, still managed to continue on and and uh, you know run and control a race team to such amazing success. So yeah, uh, just another another person who's um, had achieved so much and, and uh, you know, so so easily referenced to, to Formula One mainly, but um, motorsport in general. 
Okay. Um, yeah, well, I want to get on to Formula One a little bit later because uh, there's still plenty um, to play for, as they say, in 2021. But it is December, and uh, unusually, it is Bathurst in December as well. Um, and it's, uh, it's getting real close. Mate, it is. Uh, they are uh, on air today. I think um, uh, the first day of battle was unusual, but it's it's a bit of a different situation, as we know. Yes, with um, with uh, this year being in December and uh, the combined um, sort of card this weekend with the TCR Championship and all their uh, related support categories, also running at Bathurst alongside uh, Supercars and and their host of support categories, so a really um, different sort of layout, but a, a, a big one. You know, they were on track yesterday with support categories getting their first practice sessions in, um, on track today, on air today as well. Um, uh, for anyone that's a uh, motorsport fan, you are not going to be starved of uh, activity at Bathurst uh, this week. It's uh, phenomenal, and obviously all live on Sky Sport as well. Um, so, yeah, she's, she's underway. Supercar's on track tomorrow for the first time. Um, but it's uh, it's all happening, and I know everyone uh, has been waiting for this one. And it is a bit strange having having this event in December, but it, it certainly gives uh, sports fans um, something to to enjoy and look forward to uh, this coming Sunday. Well, the interesting thing about Bathurst is, though, even though the championship is wrapped up uh, pretty early on in the piece, yep. it's it's a standalone, isn't it? It's a standalone. Bathurst is the standalone. Uh, you 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 can say who won the championship this year. Point one, and then who won Bathurst? Point two. I mean, you know, it has that standalone quality about it. It does this year, absolutely. Um, uh, it's a little surreal, and it sort of did a little bit last year, but this this time round, with the way uh, COVID has um, you know conspired, has, has really got that vibe about it. Uh, Shane Vingersberg and taking out the championship uh, just under uh, two weeks ago. Uh, not officially as such, but um, um, he, you know, unassailable points lead, and and uh, he will be crowned uh, officially this weekend. So, you know, he goes into the weekend with a, a pretty uh, fresh and clear mind on on what needs to be done, and and really they'll probably talk a little bit about uh, the rest of the the placings in the championship. But you know, effectively, who uh, who really cares about um, who's the the first loser and the second loser after after Shane showing such dominance this year? So. Um, you know, the, the, the focus will squarely be on who can take out uh, Bathurst and, and, and be, a, um, you know, the Bathurst champion. So it's, it's an interesting one. I'm really looking forward to the, to the fight because I think it's going to be uh, one hell of a fight this week. Uh, qualifying Friday afternoon is, is always a, 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 such a significant part of the weekend. The shootout on, on Saturday afternoon, again, just uh, probably maybe my single most enjoyable part of, of being involved in a Bathurst is, is the Saturday afternoon top 10 shootout. Not enjoyable if you're not in the top 10. Mm. And I'm sure we're going to hear mm. uh, quite a few um, sob stories uh, leading in on into Saturday after qualifying on Friday about uh, missing out on the 10. And we'll, we'll get the cliches out where those that didn't make it will talk about how it's a long race on Sunday and that will annoy the crap out of me, Smithy, because um, that's just, um, <laughs> you know, cat. Uh, to put in play because you missed out on qualifying, you missed out on the shootout, all of a sudden, um, you know, it's not so important and the race is a long race. So uh, that annoys me because everyone wants to be in the shootout. It's such a big part of, of a of a Bathurst weekend. And um, every time I wasn't in it or wasn't uh, a part of it, I was pretty grumpy on Saturday, missing out on, on, on the shootout. So, yeah, we got we got a lot to look forward to. 
Well, we are uh, in here on SENZ Murph, as you are well aware. We are uh, a little bit of a betting station as well. And there is a market, uh, uh, quite a solid market on Bathurst. Uh, I'll, I'll just run you through it, just in case you weren't uh, familiar. Let's go to the top four contenders to win Bathurst outright. Uh, Van Gisberg and Tander at $4.20. Win Cup at Lowndes at four fifty. Pascale and uh, Dalberto at five fifty. My Sturt and Holdsworth seven fifty. They are the top four uh, contenders as as combinations to win Bathurst. How do you like that market? Uh, surprised about the money on uh, Van Gisbergen at the moment. Uh, I'd be getting in on that action. That's um, that is uh, a good number, good money for for what, who I consider to be the favourite. And if uh, probably the market's listening, they'll probably just drop those odds all of a sudden now. Um, but I think uh, that's that's pretty good. And 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 I, I claim those probably top four as being there. Um, I didn't hear you say Waters Moffat, did you, Smithy? I don't think you said Waters Moffat no. there in that list before. No, I will now. I will now, though. Uh, they're number five, on the, and they're equal. Waters and Moffat are fifth uh, alongside Davidson and Davidson. Uh, so the, all those three, Mostert, Holdsworth, Waters, Moffat, Davidson, Davidson, all at 7.50, and then you've got to go all the way down to 17 bucks for Brown and Perkins. So... They're saying really a seven wow. a seven horse field, yeah. Yeah, uh, uh, listen, I, I'm um, I would put uh, Waters Moffat right up there, uh, probably as my number two. So um, rush in and get some uh, get some cash on those guys because uh, that is a really strong, very very strong duo. Um, Moffat is great at Bathurst. Um, uh, always got heaps of energy. Um, is, is aggressive as well. Uh, and I just like that combination because Waters has been showing great form up at Bathurst in the last 12 months. Um, it was unfortunate not to get a result in uh, February when the, when the championship started at Bathurst. was really the only guy that took it to Shane Van Gisbergen early in the season. And I, I expect that he's going to come out firing and, and have something to prove as well. So um, that, uh, that for me is probably one that's gone a little bit astray. But um, Shane Van Gisbergen, Garth Tanner, in my book, definitely the favourite. Okay. Uh, incidentally, uh, if you want Waters and Moffat uh, to finish in the top three, you could get them at $2.88. There you go, to finish in the top three to, to, uh, as an individual bet or to add to a multi. Uh, Murph, can we uh, just move to Formula One uh, just briefly? Uh, Jeddah. Tell us a wee bit about Jeddah and uh, Saudi Arabia. I was reading a little bit about it. Uh, they say it's reputed to be the fastest street circuit on the calendar. Yeah, I, I saw that too, mate. Um, uh, all these new circuits are always really interesting for teams and the way they uh, they go about uh, their business because these days the simulation that they have, the information that's provided uh, to the teams, um, the work they do themselves, all the teams would have had people on site there, oh, who knows how long ago, just looking at certain things about the circuit, getting their own measurements and data, uh, that they can record to put into the simulations and the simulators that they that they have back at the, uh, the um, headquarters, and they, therefore the drivers get to spend a lot of time in their sims, learning, understanding, getting an idea of where everything goes around those racetracks. So, um, yeah, the, the the word is that it's a very fast one. Uh, the passing situation will always be interesting. How well it, it will create racing. Uh, which is uh, obviously critical to, to for entertainment. Um, but, you know, a new circuit's always exciting. 
it's a strange one, Saudi Arabia. Uh, it's you know there's a few issues there around um, uh, question marks around uh, obviously human rights and some pieces over there, which Lewis Hamilton mm-hmm. uh, is big on. Um, so you know taking Formula One to a place like that, you know there's there's question marks around it. It being the right thing to do, but um, regardless, we'll um, we'll see them on track uh, oh, by the end of the week, and and it's always interesting to see Formula One cars on a new one. So I I don't know who it's going to suit. I mean, recently the Mercedes has clearly been the dominant dominant car. Lewis Hamilton being quite dominant. Um, will Red Bull be able to come back this weekend? They really do need to to for Max Verstappen to have a little bit of a breather. If Lewis wins this one and um, Max uh, finishes second, man, we're we're on for a, a, a showdown at Abu Dhabi the following week, which is great for Formula One, um, depending which side of the fence you're on. If you're like Mercedes and Lewis or, or Verstappen and Red Bull, but uh, we we are have been treated to a to a hell of a fight this year, even though it really has just been a two horse race. It's better than what we've had in the past, where it's just been Lewis Hamilton. Is there animosity between uh, Mercedes and Red Bull uh, as the two standouts? Does, do you see any um, ugliness about that r- rivalry off the track even? Oh, I, don't, I, I actually don't call it ugly at all. I, I don't think it is. I think, I think they, there is, there's mu- without question, there's mutual, mutual respect. There's definitely respect. But they uh, they're being forced to take it to another level at the moment. It just goes to show that it doesn't matter uh, how big a sport is, how professional it is, what level it's run at. You know, at the end of the day, when you're in the heat of the battle and you're fighting for what they, you know, the for what they're actually fighting for, um, you know, when the gloves come off, uh, it comes back down to you know, pretty sort of standardised sort of schoolboy um, on the on the school rugby field kind of kind of dealings, you know, they, they, they get a bit rough around the edges, and, and you know what, I, I, I enjoy it, you know, um, professional sport in many respects has become just way too uh, clinical and, and just a little bit too clean and nice for my liking in many respects, I mean, at the end of the day, end of the game, you want to see respect for each other, but during the battle, you know, um, you want to see want to see the gloves off and, and going hard, and I think that's what we've seen this year in Formula 1, and I've enjoyed that immensely. They're already, I see, uh, just harping a little bit back to, to Bathurst uh, and uh, next year, 2022. It's amazing we haven't even had this one. Uh, they're talking about a wild card, Triple Eight wild card entry for Craig Lowndes all of a sudden. Um, does, that, uh, does that give Greg Murphy any sort of FOMO at all? And what will your levels be like this weekend? I mean, as a, for, a, a fellow Hawks Bay or Havelock North resident, I'm a bit worried about you, mate. Uh, no, I'm good. I'm. I think uh, just the way this year has panned out, and and uh, I'm quite settled about not being over there this weekend. I think um, it's, it's going to be uh, a, a tough one for everyone that's working in the environment and the vision side of things is 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 going to be very full on. I don't think I'm going to be missing uh, not not being there. Um, Sort of running around up and down the pit lane doing that job, and, and as far as the wild card driving side of things go, uh, it was going to be so tough this year to, to make that happen. And maybe it will happen next year. Maybe we'll get a shot. And if it means that the the borders are open and people can travel, I'd much rather be at Bathurst with um, thousands of screaming Kiwis and support from Kiwis uh, than I would be there without them. Um, so this year we'll just uh, you know 
we'll tear it up and, and um, put it down to circumstance and, and hopefully next year it gets a bit more normal and, and we can go back to, to having um, you know uh, a, a more normal kind of situation when it comes to Bathurst, which, which I'd be much more happier being at than what I would be this year. Okay, well race control tomorrow night um, if I would imagine there is a bit of a leaning towards Bathurst on it. Tell us a wee bit, a wee bit about what uh, you hope to have on the show. Yeah, we, we'll get uh, Anton Di Pasquale um, will be on, on the show. Um, that is uh, uh, some insights from him from earlier in the week. And tomorrow is going to be very busy for all those guys. They'll actually be uh, in their final practice session um, on Thursday afternoon while we when we go to air. So a bit difficult to grab uh, some of these guys. Uh, Shane Van Gisbergen, we have got a bit of an update from him. Uh, we've actually managed to get Remy Gardner, the, the brand-new Moto2 world champion and, and son of uh, ex-1987 world champion Wayne Gardner. He's going to be on the show tomorrow night mm. uh, and, a, and a couple of others as well. So um, we're still working on trying to get uh, a couple of other people on uh, from Bathurst that uh, might be able to have a chance for us. So, no, good show tomorrow night, and it will be focused on around, uh, obviously, the 1000, the Ripco Bathurst 1000 this weekend. Look forward to it, Murph, and uh, I hope you uh, can sit back and enjoy, uh, like the rest of us, the spectacle that is the great race this weekend. So uh, race control first and then racing over the weekend. Can't wait. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Smithy. And uh, well, mate, if, you, if, you, if you're a loose end on Sunday afternoon, mate, come on round and um, I'll, I'll shout you one. Well, man, that is an invitation. Uh, don't be surprised, Greg. Don't be surprised. Thank you very much for that. Um, okay. <laughs> Ah, uh, uh, yeah, right, fine. Uh, gone of those days, eh? Gone of, oh, goodness me, wouldn't that be an honour? Would that not be an honour to watch Bathurst alongside uh, the great Greg Murphy? Goodness me. Ah, wow. Uh, 10.18 here on SCNZ. Um, and uh, when we come back, we'll have the panel uh, today. Andrew Gordy uh, being a Wednesday. Lavina Good, of course. Uh, really looking forward to asking Lavina Good about Brandon Smith. What do you reckon she'll say about him? It's coming up shortly. Find the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Lavina Good is with us this morning, as is uh, Andrew Gordy. And uh, get uh, Lavina Good, I think, to open the batting this morning. And I'm just going to give you a nice little juicy half folly here, Lavina, by the name of Brandon Smith. I've just been looking forward to your, um, uh, your perspective on the Brandon Smith, I want to play for the Roosters saga. Good morning. I'm going to take that as a full toss, and I'm going to hit it long and hard and go for a big, long six on that one. Thanks, Smitty. Um, the old cheese, eh? I'm a big fan of the cheese, to be fair. I do like him. I, I thought the Warriors had an opportunity to target the boy from Waiheke Island four years ago when the Storm had him on a $600,000 a year contract, and the Warriors were looking for... Um, a number nine to move forward in the club. Um, he is a Kiwi international, but the Warriors didn't take that opportunity. So now he's moved from six hundred to eight hundred thousand dollars, and he obviously knows he was a second-rate citizen at the Storm when Cameron Smith was there, and with Harry Grant taking over that new number nine spot for the Storm, what he wants to do is being a, a starting number nine, starting hooker for any NRL side. So. He's done the rounds, he's been throughout Sydney, he got a knock on the door from the Dolphins, but he's in a bit of a, in the shtuk at the moment because he's come out on a podcast and not only has he indicated that he will be going to the Roosters, the Silver Tails of the NRL, they just buy 
whoever they want, whenever they want. I don't know how they keep under the salary cap, but that's for another discussion, Smitty, to be fair. And um, he's indicated that via a podcast and also questioned the culture within the Storm Club. We've all come out and said, Storm have got the culture thing going on, they're sweet as, they'll dominate forever. And he's come out and talked about a drinking culture at the Melbourne Storm. He's indicated that he'll be leaving the Storm uh, for the 2023 season, not 2022. And I wouldn't be surprised at the end of that if the Melbourne Storm said, actually, buddy, if you want to go, how about you head off now? Because they're not pleased with some of the media responses that have come out of that podcast. So the old cheese is in a bit of strife, but um, if I had a chance of buying him for the Warriors, if I was in charge of the Warriors for for their budget and who they could purchase uh, for next year or onwards, I definitely would have made a market him a long time ago. But that ship has sailed. He will not be coming to the Warriors. It looks as though he will be going to the Roosters. The one thing I would like to mention, though, prior to bringing Andrew in on this discussion, is that it's a really confusing situation with the NRL, how they have players up for contract at this time of the year, and yet they've got another year on their contract next year. So, I mean, there's Reid Marnie, who's uh, number nine from the Eels, has decided to leave the Eels. He's taken on a four-year contract with the Doggies for 2023 onwards. How is Reid Marnie going to play against the Doggies next year when he's wearing an Eels jersey? I question that with the NRL. Mm. I think they need to change that. I really do. I'm with you. I, I, I can't think of any other situation where you would play a whole season... Uh, for a club, and everyone knows that your heart and soul is really in the next club that you're going to because that's where your bigger benefit's going to be. Uh, Gords, how do you see that? Yeah, uh, morning, guys. Uh, morning to all the listeners as well. Um, I couldn't agree with that point, and it's been a long-held belief of mine. It is it is so backwards. Like, And what other... Not, forget any other sport. Like, What other profession would you have the situation where you are lining up contracts and, it's, and, it beca- and everyone knows about it, um, a year out from when it actually happens. It's just ridiculous. And it's not fair It's not fair on anyone. It's not fair on the player who's at the centre of it. It's not fair on that player's current team. And in this case, obviously, it's going to be the Storm. It's not fair on the, the, the fans of that club. Um, it's not fair on the administration. It's just such a, a backwards... Um, I, I don't even want to say, like, old-fashioned. Old like, it, it shouldn't be something that should ever uh, happen in any sport. Um but now look at, especially the situation you've got with Brandon Smith, um, it's so untidy for everyone concerned. You've got the Melbourne Storm coming out and officially confirming that Smith is going to leave uh, uh, at the end of 2022 and bar forced to make comments about what he said on this podcast. The only thing I will say about all of this is Brandon Smith can't do anything about that contract situation and this ridiculous situation that the NRL um, and this, this atmosphere, I suppose, that they allow, this environment that they allow for contracting. I've got no issue that Brandon Smith has gone out on a podcast and said what he thinks and how he feels because that's the situation that the NRL invites by having this ridiculous contract situation. And I found it kind of funny, actually, that, and, and there, were, uh, there were a few people on social media that picked up on, on how upset Buzz Rothfield was that Brandon Smith had gone out and spoken on a podcast and basically broken the news before he had a chance to break it. Uh, this is players taking control of their own narrative, which can be frustrating for mainstream media. But look at the look at the media storm, I suppose, that, that he has created. Um, he's going to have to live with that, I suppose, for the next season at the very least. Um, but look, I suppose if you're looking at it from his point of view, he's, he's a guy who's putting it out there. He's a, he's a, a good enough player uh, to be to be making these sorts of comments and, and being bold. He's, he's one of the 
believe in um, hookers in the game, um, and I'm sure he's going to prove that, certainly when he gets to the Roosters, but I think he'll want to prove it as well over, over the next 12 months as well at Storm. Uh, well, Brandon's taken us up to the news, which is uh, fantastic, I guess, in a way. Uh, Lavina and uh, Andrew, could you please stay with us? That would be great. Uh, Trudy with us now, and when we come back, uh, would Adi Savia be top of your shopping list if you're looking to uh, contract uh, All Blacks going forward? Talk, big opinions, the panel. Lavina Good, Andrew Gordy with us this morning. Gord's uh, Adi Savia signing through to uh, 2025. Uh, probably very good news for New Zealand rugby fans. Would uh, uh, Is he that vital for you? Look, from an on-field perspective, it's pretty hard to argue. Like he's, he's been one of one of the standout performers for the All Blacks in recent times. But I just wonder, Smithy, whether this re-signing, and in particular the timing of it, um, has a greater impact sort of off the field and in terms of the perception around the All Blacks and New Zealand rugby at the moment. Let's not forget that just, what was it, last week, we had a, a pretty major decision, uh, a major change around the eligibility rules um, at the... At, from World Rugby, and you had someone like Adi Savi himself coming out and saying, I would like to play for Samoa. And we talked about, on this, on this very program, about how players might now look to end their All Blacks careers early and, you know, uh, uh, sort of observe that stand-down period um, and turn out for um, the, the Pacific Island nation of, of their heritage, I suppose, at, at the following World Cup. Now, by doing this, uh, New Zealand rugby has very quickly, I suppose, taken that option off the table for Adi Savia, unless, I suppose, he intends to sign this contract and then, and then make himself unavailable for the All Blacks. Um, but on face value, it would, it would appear that that's not the case. Um, and so it almost kind of comes across now as sort of lip service, I suppose, or at least for the, for the next four years. Um, and it's important, I think, that New Zealand rugby can show we can hang on to the very best players. You can, I suppose your listeners can debate whether, whether Artie Savia is one of the very best. But look, he's a, he's a, he's a big name. Uh, he's, a, he's a very good player with a big profile and an important profile, um, especially you know, among, the, among Pacific Island fans. Um, so I think the timing of this in particular is very important for New Zealand rugby. How do you see it, Lavina? I reckon he's really good at 28. I don't know how good he's going to be at 32. So it's a brave decision by uh, New Zealand Rugby to sign him off on the contract. It's a nice diversion also, I guess, for people not to be considering who's going to be coaching the All Blacks in the future. So it is perfect timing. I like the fact that he captains um, the All Blacks in the absence of Kane and Smith and Whitlock. So he was the one that they said, you know, you can be the leader of the team. And there hasn't been a lot of Pacific... Uh, Pacifica captains, I think, um, for the All Blacks. I mean, you've had Umanga, Collins, Mialamu, Muliaina. I think that's about it when it comes to the Pacific representation as captains. So that was really cool. So they're obviously saying you're a leader. We want to hang on to you. But I agree with what Andrew said. And, and the, with the changes to the international law and who you can play with, I wouldn't be surprised if his older brother Julian said, I'll play for Samoa. That's who I want to play with because he has an opportunity to do that in January. But this is Artie's way of saying he doesn't want to do that. I found it really interesting, guys, that apparently he made this decision without an agent. He was not represented by an agent of any sort, so he decided to make um, this decision for him and his family for the future. But also his decision to stay in Wellington and represent the Canes for a couple of years. But then after that, obviously, with the contract extended with the All Blacks, he'll have a a two-year hiatus where he can decide whether or not he will play for a different 
super rugby team, and that just might be the new Pacific Island franchise, Moana Pacifica. Mm. So plenty of exciting things to happen there. It's not a bad purchase. I wouldn't say he's a bad purchase. I just don't know how well he's going to be playing for the All Blacks in four years' time, and he wouldn't be at the top of my list if I was going to buy a player for four years for the All Blacks. Uh, here we find this uh, scenario, Lavina, uh, with New Zealand football. Uh, looks like Danny Hayes going to have to play some uh, non—well, I won't say non-professional, but some some different players than he would like to play uh, for this uh, World Cup qualifying scenario in the Oceania side of things. So uh, he's forced to do that because uh, he can't get his hands on the players that he wants because it's not within, or part of it is not within this uh, this World Cup window, this FIFA window. What a bizarre yeah. situation. We're talking the World Cup here. Yeah, it sucks, actually. FIFA have basically put up the big hand and covered the ears and said, we don't want to talk to you, uh, New Zealand football, at this stage. We've made a decision on the tournament. Danny Hayes obviously said, look, the format really sucks at the moment because we'll be missing players like Chris Woods, the Prince thing. I mean, they're, they're representing in Germany and, and Burnley at the moment, so they, they actually can't come and represent New Zealand because they have contracts with their clubs, and this tournament is outside of that window where they need those key players. I know that um, Danny Hay got the troops together and said, look, can we not just have an eight-team tournament over a 10-day window? And that would suit all of us so much better. But the other countries that were meant to be representing said, if it's a knockout situation, we can't afford to come to Qatar and just play one game. So FIFA had said, bad luck, New Zealand, if you want to um, head off to the, for the um, World Cup and if you want to make sure that you want to be one of the best in the world, you have to go through probably the first two games of this qualifying tournament without some of their superstars. I still think, though, Smitty, that they'll do well in this tournament. They're, they're the best in their pool. Mm-hmm. They've got the Solomon Islands, New Caledonia and Tahiti. So I'm not underestimating how well they will do. I just thought the process was interesting that FIFA said, we don't care what you're going to say, New Zealand. It makes no difference whatsoever. You can rally as much as what you want. It won't make a difference. You're going to go to this tournament without some stars in March for the opening two rounds. Andrew, I'm not sure if I understand why New Zealand football aren't even part of these discussions and these headlines. It just seems to be Danny Hay, the All-Whites, and uh, Oceania. Smitty, I'm, I'm so tired of talking about how amateur our OFC is. It's just an absolute joke. This has been going on for years. And this is just, this is actually a classic Oceania football decision. Um, it is appealing to the lowest common denominator. Um, and it is not, you think about what the World Cup is, right? It is, it is the ambition for excellence. It is aiming for the very best, having the very best players. And this is doing the complete opposite. And unfortunately, I suppose, like, what, why are we at this point? It's because the OFC Executive Committee voted on it in a, in a democratic situation where everyone has a vote. Um, New Zealand football are simply outnumbered. And they've got, they've got no comeback on that at all. Um, the, the idea that was put forward about a knockout, a knockout format was absolutely the right thing to do. They had to do something different because COVID has forced them to change the format of, of this qualifying tournament. They had to do something different. And the, the right thing to do, the fair thing to do, for, for most of the teams anyway, would have been to have a straight knockout tournament that occurs inside the FIFA window. But of course, again, they're, they're making sure that everyone's got, everyone's got a chance to reach this tournament. And by the way, this whole, this whole point of view around 
that these, these teams don't want to travel for one game, what is the difference? There is no difference between one game or three. It's not like they're going to pack out the stands and they get a gate from any of this. It's just absolutely ridiculous. It's amateur hour, and I, I, wish, I wish that New Zealand football could do something more about highlighting just the injustice. As Danny Hay said yesterday, this would happen nowhere else in the world. And I'm looking at someone like Johanna Woods, the president of, of New Zealand football. She is on the FIFA Council. Now, that, they don't have the same sort of power that the uh, executive committee used to, but she is at the very top table of world football. If she can't be having discussions with some of the, some of the most powerful figures in the game about what is going on down, down in Oceania football... Um, there's something seriously wrong. That's not using uh, your position to the, to the best effect. And, and I'd like to think she would start having those sorts of conversations and using this as, as case in point number one, because New Zealand football are trying to be professional. They don't always get it right, but they are trying to be a professionally run organisation about operating in an amateur environment, and it's got to change. Lavina, what did you make of uh, the Black Caps v India? Were you... Very, very satisfied with the draw or slightly disappointed that uh, it wasn't more an effort to win? I was disappointed. I thought it was exciting. I mean, the, the draw was exciting at the end, but I was disappointed on the back of what the Black Caps had achieved overseas. Um, this is their opportunity to shine, I do believe, and come and prove to us that they can perform at all levels of cricket. I'm a massive fan of the Black Caps. I love cricket more than anyone, and I was disappointed in the draw. They should be striving for the victory, and I got a little bit pissed off of everyone celebrating a draw because, for mine, that's not good enough. Mm. So I know they had to work hard to get the draw, but that team, Smitty, is capable of beating that Indian side. It was always going to be challenging that they had opportunities to do it, and they don't need to live in that defeatist mindset. They need to make sure that they know they've got a team that can win, and we need to be a country that says we expect you to win. How we? We, we agree on a lot more things than I ever thought we would, Lavina. Uh, I'm, this is one of the most revealing things <laughs> to me. Come uh, on, man. <laughs> hey, Gords, uh, just finally, uh, what do we do with this uh, 11 for Mumbai, mate? Uh, where do we look to change, if at all? Well, it's, it's a good question, um, Smitty. I think, look, if, we, if we're just looking at the, the game that's just been played in Camp 4 and you look at the team we selected... Um, I think Neil Wagner's got to be feeling pretty pretty pissed off that he wasn't in. I mean, you had Will, Will Somerville and Russian Ravindra uh, were, were pretty ineffective, really. AJ's Patel, I think, I think obviously has has some value. I think he's clearly the best of our spinners. Um, but but Neil Wagner brings you brings you something extra. And if they were to face similar conditions, which they may not, and, and I don't know, you may know more about that than I do. Um, I'm not sure exactly what sort of wicket they're going to face in Mumbai. If it, if it is you know, going to be a, a, a crumbling, deteriorating wicket and Spin's going to play a bigger part, well, then maybe you stick with the same 11. But, gee, I, I think off the back of that, Neil Wagner's got to be pretty unlucky to miss out again. Uh, he's just one of those bowlers that it doesn't matter the conditions. He can get something out of that wicket. And and I, I hear what you guys are saying about, about sort of celebrating the draw. Um, the fact is, though, that you know, I'm, I'm sure they would have preferred things to have gone differently, particularly on that and on that final day, and, and perhaps on that fourth day as well. But I think once they got into the position that they did, a draw isn't a bad result, especially if now they go out and win this game. Uh, they have a they have a historic series win in India and crucial points uh, when it comes to the World Test Championship. If they'd lost that game, then we'd have nothing to play for essentially, um, in, in terms of the series at least. 
um, when it comes to this match. So, yeah, perhaps there are, are some selection issues to, to look at, and I'll tell you what, some of those batsmen really need to um, have a look at themselves as well. Um, I'm expecting certainly more out of, uh, well, perhaps Kane Williamson, but Ross Taylor and Henry Nichols as well. I think those guys really need to stand up in this next test. Totally agree, and uh, I think we've almost agreed on everything this morning, which is just wonderful. It'll make my Wednesday so much more pleasant. Andrew Gordy and Lavina Good, uh, I thank you so much for your participation this morning. You have been fantastic, as always. Uh, it's 10.43 here on SENZ, and when we return, uh, some of your texts, there's some suggestions too for starting 11s, uh, which I'll add in, uh, and, and also, of course, uh, we've got the opportunity to talk to Louis and go to the TAB with options for today uh, before 11 o'clock. Voice of Sport in New Zealand. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yeah, we've got a bit to get through before 11 o'clock. So here's a couple of texts. Uh, Smithy, my test team, Latham Young, Williamson, Taylor, Phillips, Mitchell, Ravindra, Jamison, Southey, Ajaz, Wagner with Phillips as keeper. Wasn't impressed with Nichols or Blundell. That's uh, from Ken. Um, Smithy, uh, let's not forget that Russian Ravindra's profile has risen due to the ANZ ad. Great player. That's Bruce from the Tron. And if the pitch is going to be uneven, isn't that great for Wagner? Is that not great for Wagner? Well, of course it is. Any variation of bounce for Wags. Imagine him uh, going and bouncing in a short one ball, hits you in uh, the elbow, the next one it hits you in the shin or the knee. Uh, that's fantastic when it pitches in the same spot. Love that stuff if you're talking about uh, Neil Wagner. So... Uh, with a, a real opportunity after 11 o'clock, about 11.20 to get uh, seriously into the text that you've sent us. Uh, we have to get to Louis Herman Watt and the TAB uh, before 11 o'clock. So that is our next mission. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz. Racing's biggest fan. Well, Louis Herman Watt joins us as usual at this time. It's a dead five and overcast, we're told, at Rotorua today. So the Vegas is hosting some racing, Louis. Yeah, it is, Smithy, and there's a couple of nice chances. One we were talking about throughout the morning. Tony Pike gave us the early Monday morning lead into race two, number one, Habana, who's a beautiful, I think he's a Zoo Star Colt. Let me check. Yep, Zoo Star Colt, beautifully bred, um, and part of the Cambridge Stud Band. They'd be hoping that he can kick on and really show some more progression. He's been pretty good in his first two starts. He, he wasn't. It was a wasn't a bad six. Uh, first up, and I think actually was at Rotorua, so he's had a look around and then second chase hard on the Cambridge Synthetic from memory, so uh, it's a tight turning track as Tony said to us, so probably not an ideal place, I mean but he's had a look around the track at $2.90, $1.35, I think it's a great bonus back race to have a bet into. Race number 7, it's a nice enough uh, rating 74 race uh, over the, well, it's close to a mile, 1,560 metres. Mohaka has to be the class horse of the field, carrying 61 key kgs, but got the claim of Lemmy Douglas down to 57. So the whole 4 kg claim will be used here. Good draw, good stable, been going pretty well. Second up status is no question at all, having won and placed uh, multiple occasions there. So Mohaka is another one to watch throughout the morning, Smithy, and um, today's Wednesday, which means we get markets later for the Captain Cook Stakes this weekend, which is a great race, isn't it? 
Well, it's time-honoured event, the Captain Cook Stakes. Uh, I've always looked forward to that event. And December, uh, even though we're heading for, to, towards Christmas, of course, uh, with the big Tarapa meeting as well, um, I, I look forward to this time of the year. Um, it doesn't ease off. Nah, you're right. It doesn't ease off. Trentham gets its fair crack, absolutely. Uh, this weekend, you got the Wakefield as well down there, which is a great two-year-old race. Um and, yeah, the Captain Cook Stakes, then you're right, Waikato Cup meeting at Tarapa. Uh, it's really busy. I just love to see some people back on track. So as the country, what are you? What, what status are you? What traffic light are you at the moment, Smithy? Uh, we only just, I think, got to Orange. Uh, our um, vaccination rate was uh, down below the required amount, and there was a late surge, uh, I think, uh, that uh, pushed us over the line. So fortunately, uh, we're Orange. Um, and I, well, Louis, are you under the uh, the racing regs uh, for Orange? Uh, do, do you know that? I yeah. mean, at Waikato or in Orange? Yeah, you uh, should. Wellington would be in Orange. At yeah. Orange, you should be able to have at least groups of what a hundred. Um, so there should be people on track. Red, it becomes essentially impossible. So I just, I mean, I've got very low ambitions or hopes for Boxing Day or New Year's Day at Ellerslie. People might call me a pessimist, but I don't think we're going to be out of red by then in New in oh. Auckland. And if we are, we just would have done it, so they won't have enough time to get it sorted. Anyway. Uh, use your press pass. Use your press pass. Uh, I'm sure that uh, Pitt Morris uh, would use the press pass if she needed to to get into uh, the Greyhounds, which uh, are very busy today. Uh, Pip and Palmerston North, in fact, uh, not just... Uh, uh, one meeting, you've got an extra meeting as well there, so about 15 races by uh, my by my count, so busy day in Palmerston. It certainly is, Smithy, good morning to you, and yeah, I probably would use a sneaky press pass to get onto a, a good meeting like that, but yeah, 15 race card, uh, looking forward to it, made my best actually in race number two, big time master, it's a day where I think there's a bit of value on the card, Water, of course got Rotorua to look forward to for the gallop side of things, 10 races there, the late quality to $25,000 guaranteed as well, that's races 7 to 10, and the bonus back races as well are on races 1 and 2 if you want to play the gallops too, Smithy. so yeah, lots to look forward to domestically for our uh, racing today. And uh, TAB-wise today, pretty much uh, no football, so there's a bit of basketball to, to throw your money at, uh, anything else of interest? Yeah, of course, we've got that Sri Lanka and West Indies game uh, around 5 p.m. This, uh, this evening. Of course, Sri Lanka sitting there at 225, 270 for West Indies. So, um, I mean, it's not a bad price for West Indies, really, when you think they're only trailing by 135 runs. And I was going to actually get your thoughts on the India and New Zealand odds because New Zealand are sitting there at 440 and India are $1.49, Smithy. Do you think New Zealand's over the odds there? Nah, I'll be, yeah, no, I don't think so. I think India are hot favourites there. Incidentally, I'll tell you something else to look forward to. Murph gave us some tips for Bathurst this morning. Um, have a look at, have a listen back if you can for that. To Mitchell and to Gabby Rennie. So that was wonderful news. And for Jitka Klimkova, a real vindication that uh, in her short reign, she's getting things going in the right direction. Terrific news indeed. Also good news, we've got uh, hold of Finn Delaney uh, in Australia at the moment. So Finn... Uh, we've outlined the fact that uh, you've got to go ahead even though you wanted to, to have a bit of a delay in starting the season. So uh, can you tell us at the moment, it might be a bit like a mash unit, uh, how's the Breakers squad looking? <laughs> yeah, a little depleted at the moment, thanks for me on, Smithy. It's, um, yeah, it's a, bit, a bit crazy, really, it's the, the time zone, but um, yeah, the virus has gone through the team a little bit, so um, missing some of the, the management and 
and uh, cool players, but um, just trying to prepare the best we can. And um, yeah, like we said, it's going ahead, which um, I'm, you know, I'm excited to play regardless, but um, yeah, a little depleted. Okay, so um, as we stand right here and now, this being Wednesday morning, game time Saturday night, how much, uh, how, how, how many of the playing squad would you know, and even the head coach situation, uh, how many will be there courtside or on the court, and how many won't, will not at this stage? I'm not 100% with the timings of, of when people are going to get cleared and, and that, so the number might change, but I think we're going to um, probably be a couple of players down, and then um, uh, that, that, that might be yeah, at, at this stage. Like, like I said, that, that number might change, but um, yeah, that's, that's all I really know at the moment. How regular? How regularly uh, is the testing process? What What are the protocols you're living under at the moment? We we, we cleared the second days from from the, the the contact, so now it's sort of um, calmed down a little bit. During that, it was kind of um, we had about three PCR tests, and then rapid antigens every time we're leaving the hotel, and then now we kind of just got um uh, sort of restrictions on on what we can do daily and. Um, and, um, and, and, yeah, just kind of monitoring everyone's kind of health, really. Let's look at how the, uh, the prep and the assembly of the squad's gone so far for you, Finn. Uh, the downside, of course, losing uh, the experienced Tom Abercrombie uh, with a side strain. So um, how far away would you assess that Tom is... Uh, uh, how's his uh, recovery coming? Uh, pretty good, pretty good. I think he's been able to do more and more kind of, kind of every day. Um, but you know, it's been said it's quite a quite a weird in, injury. Apparently, I've, not, I've never seen it, and uh, a number of um, physios and doctors haven't either. So, um, you know, the time frame must be a little um, flexible, I guess. But um, you know, I think they said five or six weeks from date of injury. So, um, you know, nine time is a bit of a fast healer. So, hopefully, stick to that. You got a couple of uh, uh, French players, a real French theme coming into the squad. In terms of your new signings this year, Usman Dieng and Hugo Besson, tell us how they've fit in and, and uh, the way uh, they've moulded into the squad. Nice, um, nice pronunciation. A lot better than I've had to do. Um, they're, they're, they're great. They're uh, uber talented and um, hardworking kind of kind of young guys that um, have huge futures in, in the game ahead of them. So and and they just uh, moulded in seamlessly. So. Um, they've been a real joy to, to, to work with so far. So excited to, to see how they're going to go this year. No uh, communication problems or anything of that nature. They're pretty well travelled. Oh, there's a little bit of a English barrier there. They're, they're, they're young, but um, you kind of kind of get get by with the basketball lingo, and um, you know, their English is getting better every 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 day and every every week. So um, also, they got pretty wicked sense of humour, so um, it's all good. Uh, and Peyton Seaver, big addition, Peyton Seaver, former NBA player. Uh, how's he fitting in at this point? Massive addition. Yeah, great. He's kind of um, landed straight in New Zealand and um, just solidified himself as a, as a leader of the team, a, a true pro. That, um, you know, personally super excited to continue to learn from, but he's just been a joy to play with so far. So um, really excited about the year ahead of him, to be honest. And uh, without Tom, of course, uh, we look we look at the squad and we see uh, that perhaps you're the old. I won't say the old man. That's being rude. But I, I, what I will say is that uh, uh, you have you have quite a lot of experience. We'll, we'll put it politely like that. Which 
I would imagine uh, means you've got to assume some sort of uh, leadership role or even an increased leadership role within the group. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, you know, something I'm trying to trying to you know, relishing and I'm enjoying and trying to uh, you know, learn about um, leadership and, and the sports world and, and things like that. It's, it's exciting. I like to say I have been around a, a little bit and a lot longer than a lot of the squad, so um, just just trying to help any any way I can, really. I guess the novelty sort of worn off a wee bit in terms of, you know, uh, the, the virus and having to shift bases and all this sort of thing. I mean, you've, you've been through that, done that, got the T-shirt, so to speak. Uh, so uh, that should help you, I, I suppose, apart from you're your riddled with the virus, so that should help you, I suppose, you, you don't have to experience new things. You know what that's all about. 100%, 100%. I mean, um, you know, like you said, hopefully we get over this kind of, um, adversity and see, see the other side of it and um, be better because of it. Um, and then, yeah, we're just um, a lot more familiar with kind of the grounds at the moment and um, how to kind of kind of, kind of live with it and, and things like that. And like you see, we're not really moving around so much. Dodging the virus like we were last, last season, we were more sort of like here in Melbourne and um, just, just living with it and kind of, kind of adjust, adjusting life accordingly, which, um, you know, is honestly a, a lot better. Uh, virus aside, um, it, it seems like the the post uh, the pre match in terms of uh, you know the results etc have been pretty promising. Uh, you yourself have hit a buzzer beater, which is encouraging. So uh, the trend uh, in the right direction in that regard. I think so for sure. Uh, yeah, we kind of made I think huge huge, huge strides in, in pre season from um, game one to game three or four, whatever it was. Um, so, you know, like I said, virus aside, I'm going through the moment, hopefully we continue to, to get better and, and kind of grow, grow with that. Well, South East Melbourne first up. Uh, tell us a wee bit about them. How do you rate them? Um, they're a tough team. Uh, you know, we've got a lot of their uh, team back from, from, last, from last last season. Uh, a lot of talent, a lot of, shoot, a lot of shooting. So, um, fast team as well. But um, I think we match up well with them. We enjoy playing, playing with them and... Um, yeah. What uh, what do you see if you look at the squads uh, throughout the season? Um, who who would be uh, your pick for perhaps being um guaranteed guaranteed to be there at the pointy end of the season, the tough end? I'm um, tough to say. There's, there's uh, you know, especially have to be a lot of talent around the around the league this year. Um, I I think you know us southeast Melbourne are, are going to be tough, but uh, tough teams. Um, and yeah, whoever can kind of um, get better throughout the year and um, out of kind of, kind of that bunch, I think it's going to be there in the end. Cool. Bearing in mind, you've you've got to uh, integrate some uh, some new imports into uh, the NBL. Have have you set yourself a goal on the whiteboard as a unit? You know what what is the bare minimum for you guys this year? You know, hundred percent want to be there. Um, uh, you know, post 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 season play in the in the in the playoffs, and and then see what we can re- really make that happen after that. Um, definitely. And uh, I understand you got you got a day off today. What, what what's a day off uh, in this environment look like for a breakers individual? Oh, we, we, we we had a day off yesterday. Yesterday actually training day today, but um, but day off yesterday. I got down the coast a little bit um, to to the beach. Uh, it's pretty nice over here in Victoria. Just 
keep my distance away from uh, a lot of other humans. But um, yeah, back to training today. So took two sessions today. Uh, back to work. What about the dream, the ultimate dream, I guess, is to play at home. Uh, I suppose you've given up even uh, dreaming about that, but how, I mean, uh, your fans at home, your fan base, healthy fan base, are so looking forward to that. Uh, uh, at this point, yeah. what is the likelihood of that at, at this point, Finn? Um, yeah, you'd have to ask someone a few pay grades above me uh, in the government what the likelihood of that really is, but I definitely haven't um, lost faith in dreaming about that, hopefully, um, you know, something can happen with um, with the team and the, and the league and, and, and make it possible that, you know, we can uh, come in and out, but who knows, who knows, uh, I'm, I'm still dreaming about it, obviously, for sure. Okay, mate, we'll, we'll leave it at that, you've got uh, some practice to get to, uh, thanks so much for making yourself uh, available to us, uh, all the best getting a healthy, full healthy squad back on deck and uh, good luck with that opener on Saturday night. We shall be watching from home, or I rest assured that. Good luck against South East Melbourne. Appreciate it, mate. Yeah, it's uh, Finn Delaney, folks. Uh, he is uh, our senior pro, really, uh, in the ranks at the moment. Without uh, Tom Abercrombie, he's uh, got a lot on his plate. Uh, he sets himself some fairly healthy goals, and uh, nice to know that uh, playoffs bare minimum. Playoffs bare minimum for the breakers. Um, and it looks like they've got some really good talent. France and the USA coming into the squad. Some unknowns, some unknowns uh, for the opposition to try and work through as well. Uh, it's 11.14 here on SENZ. Uh, plenty of uh, text to read out when we come back. On SENZ. Right, uh, let's uh, look at uh, some of the, uh, the things in terms of uh, what you've been texting in, uh, particularly about the cricket, actually. John says, I'd leave uh, Taylor out of this game. Uh, retirement, in fact. Leaving Wags out is like uh, leaving Jesus out of the Last Supper. And what spinner would make it their life's work to play one test a year? Uh, John, interesting. And it's country with the stat that Ross Taylor's last 20 innings, uh, 463 runs and an average of 27. High score uh, is 80. Yeah, not, not a return that Ross Taylor would be proud of. He'd be the first to admit that, but... I'm not quite sure we're ready to throw him on the scrap heap, are we? Uh, to be honest, John. Uh, replace uh, Somerville with Wagner. Give the batsman a kick up the butt because you're 100% need every run. Coley's back and he won't hold back, captaincy-wise. <coughs> Excuse me, uh, compared to Rahani's performance. So, what do you reckon, John Day? What changes would you make? Yes, Smithy, uh, for, for a start, I hate it when people try and retire our greats. Mm. It's really annoying. Um, Ross Taylor is up there, probably top three batsmen we've ever had in this country, uh, Roscoe. So I don't think it's up to, to us to retire people or to drop them uh, when they're that good, when they're the leading test run scorer ever. Um, I think that's up to Ross uh, to decide if he's not up to it and he doesn't think he can score runs anymore, then he can retire. But... I think Ross Taylor believes he's got plenty left in the tank, and I do too. It wasn't that long ago. Uh, the most replayed thing of all time was probably this smithy. Whips that one away, and how appropriate that Ross Taylor and Kane Williamson are there for this moment, for this team. It's a story that's akin to David versus Goliath, but Kane Williamson and his team are now world test champions and living proof that sometimes... Just sometimes, nice guys do finish first. That was this year, wasn't it, Smithy? Ross Taylor hitting those winning runs in a game that really mattered? 
uh, John, to be fair. Uh, and, you know, he has not had the opportunity uh, to play any cricket outside, any match play outside, since that particular test match. So I, I, I'm not in that camp at all, I'm sorry. Um, John, um, I, I agree with, uh, don't agree with your sentiments there about getting rid of Ross Taylor. Uh, what Ross Taylor needs is to hit a couple in the middle of the bat and he'll be away. Uh, I, yep. I, I'd suggest that. Yep. And he can't afford to play around that front pad. That's what India will expect that he will do. They'll target that. And then you open yourself up for local umpires, LBW decisions, and then the, uh, the conjecture about reviewing, etc. all those sort of things. They've got to play more with the bat. I remember I toured Pakistan with uh, John Fulton Reid, who's uh, sadly passed away. John Fulton Reid got out of LBW uh, three times in his first uh, three innings in terms of a two lead-up game, or one lead-up game, and then the first test. And he made a conscious decision to hit the ball every time, to take a front pad, back pad, out of play. And uh, he ended up, if you look at the stats on that tour, with that technique, he ended up uh, averaging very, very well for a New Zealand player in Pakistan. So uh, I think I've got to look to be a lot more positive, uh, not just uh, in terms of their... I don't say they have to get down on one knee or... or chase it down the park and hit it out of the ground. They're just going to be more proactive, I think, with a more positive attitude to hitting gaps, putting pressure on Indian fielders who are not the best in the world, and going at them a wee bit more. And I think if they'd have used that attitude, that attitude and that run chase for a period of time when they were in good shape, I really do think they might have got a damn sight closer to putting pressure on India and perhaps even winning the game. Uh, and my argument, uh, and it's come through also, is, uh, and it's come through from Dean actually, how does a night watchman bat for two hours, over two hours on that pitch surface without too many problems whatsoever? And the rest of us uh, seem to struggle so much, uh, Tom Latham aside. And uh, Tom Latham is a very fine player. He'll go down as one of our best openers, I'm sure, by the time his career is finished. But I think he has to take a little bit more of a leading hand when it comes to being positive, particularly in those long partnerships. Uh, we just can't afford to, to sit back. You've got to profit from that, uh, being at the crease for a long period of time. You've got to make it work in your favour. And whilst you're going nowhere on in terms of runs, you're not doing that. You're simply not doing that. Uh, OK, uh, let's have a look at this morning. There is no limit to how many people can be at a venue if everyone has a My Vaccine part. It's so hard. hard uh, thanks very much, Steve, for clearing that up for it. It's so hard to... To sort of catch up on these things because uh, they change and uh, goodness me, on, uh, that's on orange it is, no limit at all. So races uh, theoretically, providing you've got your certificate or your vaccine pass, uh, you can go to the races, <coughs> which is great news. Uh, how about this for a, a combination? Uh, well, not so much a combination, for a memory. It's only three years since Patel, five wickets and some of all seven wickets in Pakistan's second innings were the main wicket takers in the UAE test, uh, which we won. We did have a right and left arm pace bowler to assist in providing wear on the pitch. So I would play Wagner for Ravindra uh, or even for Nichols, says uh, Barry. Uh, yeah, interesting. Interesting indeed what uh, they will come up with at the, the end result. Uh, what would I think, John? I, I, I'd have to uh, consider very carefully uh, who I would leave out. I, I'm not going to leave out any of the top five batsmen and I'm not going to leave out Blundell. So my tinkering is going to come from seven downwards, if, uh, if at all. Uh, would I play Ravindra? I haven't seen enough of him. Okay, it's a nice fighting innings, etc. 
but I'm going to try. I'm going to pick a team to win this test, and uh, myself, I'm going to pick a team to win this test, not to save this test. And there's a, a vast difference in personnel when you look at that. Um, so I, I'm going to go ahead and try and get 20 wickets. Best chance of getting 20 wickets, Southey, it seems, uh, over there, even still. Uh, Jameson, definitely, it seems. Wagner, it seems. Um, and go at them in that respect. There's uh, quite a lot of overs in the day. Wagner in particular is probably going to get through 25 for you. Uh, you're going to look to to get through that 90-over mark if uh, time and light persists. So that would be where I'd go. Now, spinners. Who are the, the most likely spinners? Well, Patel did get wickets in the last one, so you'd have to say that Patel is in there. And, and then you look at who uh, possibly uh, is Somerville uh, on form at the moment with the amount he's spinning it. Is he likely to get you wickets in this test match? If you're going to play a left-arm seamer like Wagner and you want to get benefits out of his footmarks, you're obliged, really, to play a right-arm off-spinner. <coughs> so I guess what I've come down to there is uh, Wagner comes in for Ravindra. Wagner comes in for Ravindra, even despite his batting heroics towards the end. This is a new venture. Uh, we don't reward players for promising performances. We're trying to win a test match here. As Gavin Larson said, he is a player for the future. He will play for us in the future. There's no doubt about it. But the future, the immediate future, is this weekend uh, against uh, India and Mumbai. How do you see that? Yeah, so you are asking Kyle Jamieson to move up to number seven. I, I, I don't mind yep. that. He's quite a good batsman, isn't he? And I quite like what I've seen from Kyle Jamieson. So you're happy with him being a number seven batsman. Do you think another number seven batsman in test cricket needs to be able to score centuries? Well, uh, I think he's capable of, uh, of occupying the crease for a long time. I think he's capable of scoring runs. He's shown us that. Uh, and as I said, I'm, I'm, I'm going to put the asset on my batsman to do the bulk of the run scoring. Uh, and I, you know, I've got a top six there, all of whom uh, are accomplished players. I, I really do rate Will Young. Uh, there's a number of test centuries uh, between Latham, Williamson, Taylor, Nichols. Uh, Blundell's chipped in with a couple already in his uh, short career. So I'm going to say to the batsman, yeah, go get those runs for me. I'm going to come and win this test match. And what about this comment from Gary Stead, uh, talking about the surface um, and changes? So there may be changes. We'll have to wait and see, Gary Stead said. We go from a black clay here to a red clay, and I think the characteristics of them could be quite different. There'll be decisions that we come to when we get to Mumbai and have a look at the pitch there over the next two days. So are you aware of this black clay, red clay business, Smithy? Spoken to Mike, Mike Hessen about it. He knows uh, about this pitch, this particular pitch surface. Uh, he said there'll be uh, a, a little bit more evenness about the bounce than we saw from the last one. But it will turn, and it will turn early on in the test match, but it might turn a little bit quicker. Uh, so that makes it a bit more of a handful. But uh, aside from that, you know, if you had the, uh, the accomplished spinners to, to use that surface, I, I don't have an issue with it. I, I really don't. Um, but you know we've got to pick our best bowlers, and at the moment it looks like it looks like our, our quicker men are the ones who uh, the Indians don't want to face the most. I mean we, we bowled 102 overs of spin on the last one, which did spin, and, and we got nowhere with it. So okay, um, let's let's uh, just reassess. Don't drag Neil Wagner over there and don't play him, and you can't drop uh, unless there's a fitness issue. You can't drop Southie. Well, Jameson, on, on what they achieved in the last test. I mean, if you're an Indian batsman at the moment, who do you least want to face? 
It's our quicks, isn't it? As opposed to our spinners. Absolutely uh, speaking not. Of facing, Completely agree. Yeah. Speaking of facing people, it's John. To, it's time for us to face the public. You to quiz them and me to see if I can match them. It's uh, coming up 11.30 here, folks. 0800 150 811. Uh, get in there and try and win 50 bucks from the TAB. Yep, every day at 11.30 or just after, you have the opportunity to win 50 bucks from the TAB and some Sleep Drops Daytime Revive, New Zealand's only specialist range of sleep and stress support supplements, simply by answering three quiz questions correctly. And a man who's tried before, and I think he failed, I think, did Charlie from Geraldine. G'day, Charlie, welcome back. Cheers, mate. Yeah, miserably, actually, yes, I... I there was one really tough question that I got, and then the other bloke got two really easy ones that I also got, but I wasn't that. Ah, yes, and then you text in in disgust. You were not happy. Yes. No. <laughs> well, we love redemption stories here in New Zealand and on SCNZ, so we'll give you another opportunity, eh? And your sports today are football, cricket, or basketball. Which one of those categories suits you best? You're cutting out a bit there, Charlie. Are you driving in your car at the moment? I didn't quite hear which one you said. Hang on, hang on now. Wait a second, wait a second. The quiz doesn't wait for many people, Smithy. I don't know about this. Do we wait in the quiz or do we go to the next person? Oh, okay. Yeah, well, that's good, Charlie. We're, we're ready for you, mate. Ah, that's yeah, a lot better, got Charlie. Got you. Uh, which sport are you going Funny. for? Well, well, I'm not going to go cricket because Smithy will kick me backside, so I'll go football. All right, football. Let's go, Charlie. First question. Lionel Messi won the Ballon d'Or yesterday for the best footballer on the planet. How many times has he won that award? I think it was seven. Just a couple of chips down the wicket. Right in the slot, and away it goes. Strong start, Smithy. Yep, yep, I'd have got that, but that's that's fine. That's early, but uh, remember, Charlie's got a he's got a habit for choking, so we'll just wait. <laughs> <laughs> Question number two: Who is the leading goal scorer for the Wellington Phoenix after two games this year? There we go. Got no idea. John Smithy, come here with us. One of the worst things uh, well. I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Smithy? Well, I've only scored three. Yep. And I, the, only name, the only name I can remember getting one is Gary Hooper. So I have to say Gary Hooper. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Gary Hooper has got two of those goals. He has whipped off the bales again, and Charlie, you are gone. Yeah, uh, good on you, mate. Uh, feel sorry for you, Charlie, but hey, that's the way it goes in the quiz. Smithy doesn't hold back. He's got good gloves and uh, just whips off those bales quite often. Chris from Morrinsville. Yeah. Chris. How are yeah, you, morning, mate? Guys. Oh, not bad. Not bad. All right. How's your football knowledge? This is really an all or nothing. You're at the penalty spot and the World Cup's on the yeah, line uh, and you've got to nail the back of the net. Yeah, and it's unlikely. Football knowledge is poor. <laughs> okay. All right. So we're looking at potentially a jackpot for tomorrow. Or, oh, Chris, you could get lucky. <laughs> yeah. Let's go. Which team sits on top of the English Premier League standings after 13 games? Oh, it's got to be one of two, but I'm going to go Chelsea. Just a couple of chips down the wicket. 
right in the slot and away it goes. There you go Chris, congratulations mate. 50 bucks from the TAB and some Sleep Drops Daytime Revive. Check them out, sleepdrops.co.nz for all ages, lifestyle stages and sleeping challenge but read the label and take as directed Sleep Drops Auckland. Congratulations. Cheers guys, much appreciated. Yeah, yeah good on you Chris, stay on the line and uh, Brian will get your details from you um, and uh, we'll get that money to you as quickly as possible. Thanks for taking part, well done. Thanks, guys. Yeah, cheers. Have a good day. Have a good day. Um, yeah, uh, we've got uh, our comic slot coming up, uh, John. Uh, Ed Amon. Ed Amon is uh, our comedian of the week. I understand that Ed is an absolute cricket lover. Uh, we're going to find out uh, more about him uh, very shortly here on SENZ and uh, also uh, the chance to uh, perhaps uh, talk a wee bit more about the Black Caps makeup uh, and. Um, and also your combinations looking forward. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Sports, no joke. We like sports and we don't care who knows. From Wimbledon to the Astrodome. We like sports and we don't care who knows. Football, 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 tennis, well, every Wednesday around this time, we like to bring sport and comedy together, put a light-hearted uh, side to it. And this week, we're, we're very excited to be joined by uh, comedian Ed Amon, who absolutely loves his cricket. Uh, Ed, hey, thanks for joining us this morning. First of all, have I, have I got the pronunciation right? Because the other A-M-O-N I know of in New Zealand is Chris Amon, former motor racing driver. Yes, I get uh, confused by that all the time, but... You got it exactly pinpoint correct. It's great to have a chat with you, uh, Smithy. Yeah, Ed, uh, and you too, because uh, we both uh, share a passion for cricket. Uh, you were born uh, in Pakistan. I've been uh, lucky enough to go there on two or three occasions. Um, whereabouts in Pakistan were you born, man? I was born in uh, Karachi, and um, mm-hmm. I came to New Zealand uh, in 2010. So um, Karachi and being a Black Caps fan since then. But the order of be- of the fandom was different. It was Pakistan first and uh, New Zealand second. Now it is changing. It is changing. Well, it's interesting. Um, uh, uh, this is a great subject, actually. Uh, when you were growing up and, and learning and starting to love cricket, who were your idols uh, in Pakistan cricket? Who were the, who were the big names that uh, were, were being bandied around? Well, my, my favorite one was the uh, was Wazim Akram uh, while, while I was growing up. I used to emulate his uh, run-up while we used to uh, play endless hours of cricket with my brother in, in the garage. And um, he was my favorite because he used to bowl fast, bat nicely as well. And uh, as far as batting was concerned, uh, my hero was um, a bit from the past i really loved uh zahir abbas and i used to watch old uh, mm. tape videos of it because my grandfather was a, a big fan of zahir abbas so we used to watch that and he used to be uh, one of the most flamboyant players of pakistan cricket in in test matches specifically so who were the heroes uh, of like uh, cricket and karachi i mean explain the setup to us a wee bit because you know we're, we're here with northern districts central districts auckland canterbury etc wellington uh, tell us about, uh, say, the rivalry perhaps between Karachi and Lahore uh, or perhaps uh, uh, Faisalabad, Islamabad. What's the rivalry like there? 
it's a it's a pretty strong rivalry as you can say with 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 players of course at that time when we were growing up the setup was not city or provincial based it was more of uh organizations based so there was a bank and then the pakistan international airlines and they, then there was another company so companies made their teams and they used to play professionally against each other in terms of rivalry within the teams there's always a north south rivalry so it's so players from punjab and players from karachi of course they always have this uh, a bit of a rivalry amongst each other and also um sometimes when somebody gets dropped it kind of gets ugly sometimes uh that they were dropped mm. because of where they were from uh, more uglier than anywhere else in the world you know this is uh, this is supposed to be a uh, a comedic type segment here but I, I'm, I'm finding this quite uh, fascinating just on a serious level for a, a little while anyway Ed. Uh, the situation in Pakistan uh, was uh, was all set to be back to the good old days where you could host sides and then all of a sudden and we were involved in this the Black Caps pull out of the tour and then England follow up and say we're not going either. I mean you can see I guess can you see both sides of the argument here? Um, I mean you must still be passionate about seeing letting Pakistan play at home. Yes, I was. I was in tears. That uh, that uh, I mean, obviously, South Africa went before, and and Zimbabwe has done uh, that as well. But uh, the World Test champion is coming to Pakistan to play cricket was a big thing, and I was in tears when when the decision was made. But then I had some some time to remunerate as uh, um, not remunerate, uh, ruminate on it, and I, I realized that I mean, if your board tells you. Or if your security agency tells you you got to go, you go. You don't stay around and go around and talk about different ways of explaining your reasons to stay. You you leave. So I don't blame at all. And I understand the passion in Pakistan that everything was blamed on on, on New Zealand. But uh, Black Caps had no choice. You got to go when you're told to go. Okay. So you're now one of one of our great supporters. Um, what about that test performance uh, against India? I mean, surely, hey, just between you and me, you wouldn't mind seeing uh, New Zealand beat India, would you? Just between oh, you and me. Oh, <laughs> any time. <laughs> I would I would be happy for it to happen any time, even if there is no test match happening. Um, the, <laughs> the, the, the thing was that I was really, really interested in us winning because it's India and it's there, it's Kanpur, and it was my Pakistani side coming out as well because we don't get to play each other, India and Pakistan, so I was projecting that to uh, the Black Caps as well. And um, but, and I kind of thought that maybe Williamson could have emulated a little bit of uh, Ashwin and be more aggressive mm. and maybe try some things. But, I mean, we went for a, a bit of a defense, defensive, and the way the, uh, the pitch was going... I mean, it was rolling down the uh, the pitch sometimes, like it was the the underarm. So it was it was insane. Uh, so I kind of later on, I just made peace with myself, and I was going for a draw because you, you know both Pakistan and New Zealand are plagued by collapses. I was just praying that there is no collapse, and then came the collapse, and I was like, the the only way out is a draw now. Yeah, Ed, you talked about playing cricket in the garage with uh, your brother. I'm sure that was very competitive. Uh, but uh, tell us uh, about growing up as a kid, as a, as a cricket fan in, in Pakistan. Uh, are the opportunities there, I mean, how, how uh, passionate is it? Is that the goal for a young kid growing up, the cricket team? Uh, 
Yes, so, so there are two goals in Pakistan. There's one is going to the army or the second is going to the cricket team. So there's two <laughs> things that are very, very rampant in Pakistan. And I was really interested in going uh, for cricket because, you know, I, I value my life and all that. So it was... <laughs> I, I and I played. Re- I, I was a left arm uh, spinner like a Vittori or Santner, and it was uh, it was good. And, and a middle order batsman, and I played quite well until school. But then my father laid down the gauntlet and say that either you become a doctor or you go to business school. No cricket because it's it's like one of those things of becoming a celebrity. There's n- not enough chances. So, um, but the passion is so well rooted i mean i used to cry every time a test series or a tour will end because now we have a lot of cricket franchise happening everything all the world but when a pakistan tour would end in west indies or england i would actually cry and say oh another two months of wait to watch some more cricket uh it this is cool uh, absolutely mm-hmm. cool so how did you get into comedy i mean from pakistan <laughs> to dreaming of being a cricketer, then trying not to go into the army, then forced by your old man to go to business school. Uh, I don't see too much humour there. How did you become a comic? (laughs) Well, I I became a comic because I couldn't say the things I could say here in Pakistan. So that was the main reason I became a comic (laughs) because um, it's pretty strict. And, you know, I'm not a religious guy and I'm I'm one of the guys who who, who loves the bacon and a bit of a whiskey. So, you know, it's... um, it was a, a better place for me to go into comedy here, um, and I, I really, I really, really enjoyed it. I mean, the, my main decision to come to New Zealand was in 1992. I was a, a bed bound because I had an accident. I was nine year nine years old, and there was a 1992 World Cup. Right about that same time, I got injured and watched the whole World Cup, and I could see these grounds and the one day games where you showed the surroundings of the ground, and I was mesmerized by New Zealand. So. I came here, did my study, and I thought I'd give a give a hand at comedy, and it's it's working. That's cool, man. Uh, look, if I want you uh, and my club, etc., how do I get hold of you? Oh, just uh, my number is with uh, with John. Just give me a call, and I'll definitely come, and definitely would like to play. I'll tell you what I'd I'd like to do it is to to get you back on at some stage and particularly if uh, New Zealand are about to play Pakistan or have just played Pakistan. Uh, you're a cool guy, uh, and thanks for joining us in this segment this week. I uh, wish you all the best. Now that uh, Auckland's opening up, I hope you're a busy man. <laughs> thanks, Smithy. It was an honour. Uh, looking forward to talking to you again. Yeah, cheers, uh, Ed. I'm on there. A very, very funny man, uh, and we didn't even try to be funny. You can just sense behind the scenes uh, he would be the kind of bloke you'd like to have a beer with and, and listen to. Funny. Really funny, but interesting. Man, what an interesting start to life. Uh, It's 11.51 here on SENZ, uh, and talking of interesting, Staffy before midday.